In Proverbs 14, verse 30, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. And it was eating Saul, and it would consume him to the point where he would do anything. And Saul certainly remembered what Samuel told him. Remember in that great failure in chapter 15, when he was supposed to destroy all the Amalekites, he, he didn't destroy all of them. He saved the king, uh, the, the king of the Amalekites. He didn't kill him. Remember what Samuel said to, to Saul? The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today, our scripture says, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. After the battle was won and Goliath was slain, David became unexpectedly popular. As Israel started singing, everyone knew David was more popular than Saul. Knowing his character, we're not surprised by Saul's reaction. Saul didn't have a right or close relationship with the Lord. All he had to affirm his heart was the praise of men. It's a bad sign in a leader when they resent or feel threatened by the success of a subordinate. Now here's Pastor Rob. We're going to see this development in their friendship as we go on. In Proverbs 17, 17, it says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, especially difficult times. It's easy to love somebody when things are going well. But remember, as you said your vows, guys and ladies, when, you're, when you stood at the altar to, to love you through sickness and in health, richer or poor, till death do you part. Those are vows that we made before God. And yet so easily today, people forget about them because it's no longer fitting to them anymore. It's no longer convenient. In Proverbs 18.24, it says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. And there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Sometimes blood will betray you where somebody who doesn't have any relationship to you will be your closest ally. Isn't that true? There's that phrase, blood flows thicker than water. Sometimes it's the people not in your family that's closest to you. It's somebody who's outside of your family. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, this is um, the record after Saul had died in battle. David writes a song called The Song of the Bow, and in it he says this. He says, Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. And I love David, the fact that he could, he could bestow such honor and, and love for even Saul, who was the one who was hunting him for 15 years. After he was anointed by Samuel, some 15 years goes by, and he's running around in a cave trying to avoid this madman. And yet his son was his closest confidant. 
And then he goes on in verse 25 of that same chapter. He says, How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. You loved, your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. <laughs> wow. That is amazing. Surpassing the love of women. And again, no funny weirdness here. This is just true love for a human being. I love that. It's rare. I hope as a church we can foster those kinds of relationships. It may not be as deep as David and Jonathan, but to be able to trust one another, to earn that trust. Trust is earned, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. You don't just trust somebody automatically. You trust somebody little by little. You tell them something that's intimate to you, and you find that they keep their mouth shut, and they don't tell everybody. You don't find it on the prayer chain the next day. In some churches, that's a real problem. Gossip kills churches all the time. People have been hurt so badly. But notice in verse 5, So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. In other words, he prospered. And Saul set him over the men of war. So now he's the commander of the army. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. The whole army, the whole nation now is looking at David with just like stars in their eyes. I mean, this guy is really a good example. And David didn't take it to heart. He still was very humble in his heart. That's probably one of the things that made him such a great king. He didn't see himself as all of that. He was just doing his normal business. One day he's knocking out a, a lion in the, in, the, in the sheepfold. The next day he's taking out Goliath. <laughs> but David prospered. And here's the secret because the Spirit of God was upon him. And Saul set him over the men of war because by this time they had a great esteem for David. It was David that led them in the victory, not only against Goliath, but also the Philistines. And it was his courage, David's courage and his valiance that they could muster behind. They could surely know that he was the king and they lost their confidence in Saul. And either way, Saul knew that he could use David as long as he could. Saul was going to use David for his own ends until he could either kill David himself, as we will see, or he could lead him in enough battles where the, the enemies would do it for him. Saul didn't care how it got done. I'm sure he would prefer that he, David would just go to the battle with the Philistines and a report would come back and say, you know, David was killed in battle. Oh, that's so horrible. That's, that's man, that's just horrible. What's for lunch? That's kind of Saul's attitude. He wants to kill him. Either way, he thought he could. Or that the enemies of God could do the job for him. But God, God anointed him. And I love this. The fact that God anointed him and he wouldn't be coronated king for another 15 years. Whether David or Saul knew it, or not, David's success was guaranteed through the promises of God. Remember when Jacob was on his deathbed as he was prophesying over his 12 sons, what did he say in Genesis 49.10? says, the scepter, he's speaking to Judah, he said, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, the right to rule shall not depart from Judah, not Benjamin, but from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. It was through David. David was invincible 
at this moment in history, things have been prophesied about his reign, his line. Ultimately, through his line will come the Messiah, Jesus Christ. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 1. And you can also read about it in Luke chapter 3. But in 2 Samuel chapter 7, remember when David, after all of his enemies had been vanquished, David said to Nathan, he said, you know, I've been living in this beautiful house, and up to this point, the God's ark has been dwelling in tents. And David had it in his heart to build God a house. God didn't need a house. God could care less. He was very content living in the tent, a very ugly-looking thing. God wasn't concerned about that. But David wanted to do something special for God, and he told Nathan, that's what I want to do. And David said, that's a great idea. Go for it. And that night, God spoke to David and said, David, or Nathan, go tell David, he doesn't have to build me a house. I never required you to build me a house, David. Your son's going to build me a house, but you don't need to build me a house. In fact, you can't because your hands are full of blood. You're a warrior, David, but your son, he will build me a house. And David was so blown away by that message, he goes in before the Lord, and the Lord tells him, the Lord tells him through Nathan, he says, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you. Do you understand? Seed. Speaking of Christ, not only of Solomon and Rehoboam, but also the seed, which we know from Genesis 3.15, and and I think Genesis uh, 13.15 talks about the seed, singular, ultimately Jesus Christ. But he says, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. What? For 70 years? No, forever. Now it changes, doesn't it? It's not just about Solomon. It's not about David. It's not even about his lineage because now now God is telling Nathan to tell David, I'm going to set up your kingdom forever. And he's going to say, he shall build me a house. Solomon, he's going to begin. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Forever. It's speaking of a one who will live forever, Jesus Christ. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed before you. And your house, here it is, and he says it twice, your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Again, your throne shall be established forever. So he's speaking about something way beyond He's speaking about the seed, the promised seed. Through David's line, through the line of Judah, and Matthew chapter 1 shows us that very clearly after the fact. It puts kind of flesh on those bones that we're hearing about now. Now it happened, verse 6, as they were coming home, and it was uh, what was happening is it was customary when they had a battle like this that they would go into the villages and kind of parade through the villages after a big battle like this, and, and it's victorious. And there'd be a lot of celebration, a lot of dancing. It happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel. Again, they're singing, dancing. They came to meet Saul with the tambourines, with joy, with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens thousands. The song that the women sang is the same that is recalled later 
Later on in chapter 21 and also in chapter 29, it's reiterated again. And the singing of the women was the icing on the cake of Saul's jealousy. Can you imagine that? You're head and shoulders taller than everybody. You're beautiful. You got the, you got the kingdom. You're the king. And David is, I'm sure, much shorter than King Saul. Probably not as handsome. And now the women are coming out of the cities. Guys, this... I don't know, for some reason, I think maybe you guys can really relate to this. If you have two friends and, and you walk through the village and all the women are singing about your friend and, and, and you're not really that important, how does that make you feel? If your heart's not right, you're going to be jealous. And that's exactly what was happening to Saul. Inside, he was burning. He's like, are you kidding me? I'm the king. I'm the one who allowed him to come into my sphere of influence. I gave him, it wasn't true though, but... He's thinking to himself, I gave him this great opportunity. I gave him, I allowed him to be captain over my thousand, over the men of war, and I gave him this great opportunity. The praise should go to me, not him. And it drove him nuts because he didn't have the guts to go out and take on Goliath himself. A young man, shorter and inexperienced, who nobody cared about, insignificant, obscure, goes out and he does the job. And Saul is... Continually, it's like, it's like a tidal wave. It's, it's, like a, it's like a ripple that builds into a small wave, and the wave gets bigger and bigger, and pretty soon it's a tsunami. And we're going to see there's going to come a point where it's going to come crashing on the waves, but David is going to be alive, and Saul himself will be dead when it's all over with because his jealousy got the best of him. And jealousy always will tear you apart. If you're a person who's prone to jealousy, be very careful. You may think you got a handle on it now, but it festers and it grows and it's like a fire and it'll eat you like cancer from the inside. And before long, you won't even be able to control what you're saying. You won't be able to control what you're thinking. You won't be able to sleep at night because all you're thinking about is that person who drove you nuts and seems to have everything and you have nothing. They get all the accolades. I get nothing. Jealousy is a horrible thing. It says in verse 8, Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they've ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed only thousands. Can you imagine the pity party of the king? They've only ascribed me ten, you know, thousands, and David ten thousands. He's like wetting his diaper. <laughs> I love what it says in Proverbs 27, verse 4. It says, wrath is cruel. And anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? Who is able to stand before envy? Have you been around somebody who has envied you? And in your face, they're talking all these good things, but behind your back, you're finding out they're telling all kinds of strange things, and they're really not your friend at all. But, oh, they're so sweet. They're talking to you. Oh, you're so wonderful, you know, such a great friend. And, but they're not. You had people like that? We all have. In Proverbs 14, verse 30, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. And it was eating Saul, and it would consume him to the point where he would do anything. And Saul certainly remembered what Samuel told him. Remember in that great failure in chapter 15, when he was supposed to destroy all the Amalekites, he he didn't destroy all of them. He saved the king, uh, the, the king of the Amalekites. He didn't kill him. Remember what Samuel said to to Saul? The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And now Saul knows who that neighbor is. It's none other than David. 
And he's starting to think about it, and he's starting to put two and two together, and he's just a man who is just deposed, and it's just eating him up, and he never repented of it. It will destroy you. Proverbs sixteen eighteen: pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's true. It's a universal truth that no one can escape if it's not repented of and dealt with. That's why we've got to take the Bible seriously. That's why the Bible says, you know, you know, pay attention to your heart. For out of it comes forth the issues of life. Right? Be diligent in how you keep your heart. So Saul eyed David from that day forward. The idea here is that he viewed him with great suspicion. He watched his every movement with jealousy and resentment. If this were to happen today, Saul would have David tracked. He would have his... He would have tracking devices on his vehicle. Saul would have David surveilled through cameras and videos and wiretaps. Because he was the king, he would be able to do that. Have you ever looked upon or been treated like this by somebody in your life? Perhaps you've had that dream job. You're a young person and you come into a a job and you are pretty qualified to do the job. And you're full of zeal and you go at it. You're just really just, man, you're just like cleaning house. And all the people that have been there for 20, 30 years are looking around going, oh my gosh, this guy is really like making us look bad. So what do they do? Do they say, man, it's great, man. We we have to rise up and and, kind of get off the old wood and... And, and, and start doing something. But does that normally happen? What normally happens? The lunchroom. Did you hear what he said? I can't believe it. You know, he's like 30 years younger than us. We've been here. We've not made experience. Next thing you know, they're just like tearing a guy apart. Who is able to stand before envy? You know, and if you're in that place, maybe where you're in a, maybe you're the older person and the younger guy is coming in and he's full of zeal and full of inexperience, but he'll do anything and he does it even better than you would have. If you're in that place, consider something. Consider doing the opposite of what your nature would want you to do. Get behind him. Get behind him. Encourage him. Give him everything you've got. Help him along the way. You become more valuable to the company that you work for when you do that, even if you think it's going to end, your job's going to end. But you know what? Your job will end anyway if you don't. You get the point? But if you're a mentor, a real mentor, and you're not concerned about your own job, you're not concerned about your own pride, I've been the recipient of people like that. And I've also looked at people like that at times. But I, I know that feeling of being resented because I was just doing what I was, doing what I was supposed to be doing. I was doing it unto the Lord, and I was excited. And then I have an adversary in the same building. Instead of building me up, tearing me down privately. Have you ever had that happen? It's not good. It's a horrible sickness to be envious of someone else. When the flame of your excitement is all but faded, you're just sitting in a chair collecting a paycheck while the young kid is running around doing the job for you, willing to do anything, and you become old wood. Saul was doing what was natural. Instead of getting behind the young man, he chose to tear him down and make his life miserable. It's very unusual for that not to happen. 
But notice in verse 10, and it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God, notice the very next day after all of that, is it any wonder? His heart was so rotten, is it any wonder that the very next day the, this evil spirit comes upon him and, and just creates havoc? A distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. And this was not prophecy, prophesying of God. This was, uh, uh, this was not what you might think it was. Normally, normally we think of prophesying as something godly, but Saul is not prophesying godly things here. And so David played music with his hand, as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. And this must have further infuriated Saul because David was not only this revered warrior now, a national hero, but the guy could play the guitar. He's gifted. He can sing. He's probably had a great voice. I don't know if he sang or not, but he played. He's gifted. And this was a recipe for disaster. It's interesting, too, when you consider the importance of David's line and as David is there before Saul, the devil or the demon that is, you know, arousing Saul makes you wonder how much he knew. Only what God allowed him to know, but he certainly knew the scripture. He knew Genesis 49.10, and so he's thinking, you know what? It's through him the Messiah is going to come. And can you imagine that demon on Saul? Oh, just pick up your sword. Just pick it up. Just pick up the javelin. You know you hate him. Just pick it up and throw it against, the, just pin him against the wall. You know you want to do it. Saul, you know you want to do it. And finally Saul does. He throws the javelin. Satan wanted to snuff the possibility of Christ ever being born based on the prophecies that he knew very well. But God preserved him. Verse 11, it says, And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But notice, David escaped his presence twice. I mean, think of it. After the first time, I think I would have just called in sick the next day. Or maybe as I'm sitting there playing my guitar, instead of looking at my music stand, I'm looking at Saul and I'm checking out where his hand is. Because any second, I'm going to have to drop that guitar and I'm going to have to run for my life. So all of a sudden, I mean, this happened twice. So David's like, Hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, he's, he's dodging the spear. Can you imagine how unnerving that would be? And he would do it again in the next chapter. We're going to see it in verse 9. But notice verse 12, Saul was afraid of David. He was afraid of him because he was threatened by him because David contained all the stuff that Saul did not have. Saul didn't have faith. Saul didn't have any conviction of heart. Saul was just a washed-up leader who was bent on obedience. It was all about him. He wasn't obedient to God. And David was obedient. He was loyal. And David would have served Saul all the days of his life if that was God's will, and he would have done it without saying a bad word about Saul. Even when Saul died, David avenged his death. The guy who, who thrust him through when, when Saul was mortally wounded and Amalekite came and finished him off because the king wanted him to. And later he tells David this and David's like, didn't you have any fear of killing God's anointed? What's the matter with you? And he says, and he grabs some of his guys and says, kill this guy. He's worthy of death. And he was. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.